Welcome back to Travel Tales from the Nerd Birds. This is our April 2023 episode. It happens to be five years since the final Virgin America flight where almost all of the Nerd Birds met, and pretty much three years since the podcast started. So I'm your co host, Rachel, and I'm going to start off with Sebastian here. We're going to ask a Nerd Bird the same questions, kind of reflecting on the last five years. Wait, I'm in first. Did I get an upgrade? <laughs> wait, what? Wait, yeah, wait, what? No, Virgin? No, you need to pay in order to sit in first. It's not a freebie. Oh, yes. That was something from Virgin America that's definitely infiltrated everywhere else. Because I fly United. Oh, gosh. Can I admit that? I fly United mostly now. You say untied. I don't know how many people even know what untied is anymore. Dyslexics of the world untie. That's where I got it from. Is No, you know about Untied.com, right? I believe I did, yes. Because that's, I wonder if Untied.com is still around. Okay, we are totally getting on. Now I'm, I'm trying to Google. In this day of internet, you know, accessibility almost everywhere, we're all, you pull out your phone, we're going to check. There is a parody site of United Airlines called Untied. Oh, yes. We're fact checking. Yeah, and well, no, there was a whole <laughs> section for lawyers and others to submit complaints to. This is how much United was not liked. Um, so anyway, I had two questions for everyone. Okay. I don't know if they're the right questions, given so much time has passed. But, okay, so it's been five years since Virgin America effectively ended. We oh, were all Virgin know, America fans. <laughs> what has changed for you in terms of flying so you know it still happens want first buy first oh yes Th that that's <laughs> it do not rely on you know having status to get you an upgrade because it really is if you really want it pay for it and virgin america was good about yes. that and usually i would always get an upgrade at the counter i'd pay for it yes you'd, yeah you'd pay to see if there was availability but you would pay for the upgrade into first and united had that actually on the app it's like hey do you want to upgrade and i was just trying to fly to denver and there was a triple seven tons of angry people at the gate complete chaos there was one seat left and i thought why not man hmm. there was probably like 50 people on the upgrade list i bypassed all of these global services <laughs> and yet i was still in a middle seat of a four seat. There were some people seating facing backwards. Right. It was their older configuration. I felt like I was in a coffin and I'm like, I'm scared to ask what was going on in economy. <laughs> it's even tighter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it's a hard question. I mean, for me, I've tried different airlines since then. I've become agnostic. I no longer really have loyalty with one airline. Mm -hmm. I think is the mileage earnings and games have changed right in the way that you earn status that has changed for me that we are more agnostic and are more price sensitive to okay who's got the schedule and the price for where we're going which leads back to the want first buy first because mm -hmm. if you're going to be going somewhere and you're paying for first a lot of the benefits that you would get as a frequent flyer early boarding the more generous luggage capacity allowance, it's already built into your first class fare. The only difference then becomes if there was a problem that you're going to encounter, there's a schedule change or cancellation, 
where do you fall and how are you going to be treated? Yeah, and if you don't have elite status, you don't have the priority phone number, you don't have the priority line to go to. I've been burned by that. Mm -hmm. So it probably would be good to have the lowest level status on an airline you fly more often than others. At least something. Yeah, I'm trying to get back to silver on United. But um, sometimes, but, that, eh. you know, because again, they built that in with spend limits and miles earned. And sometimes if you're not going to be that much of a frequent flyer, and does it really matter? Possible. It depends on how time sensitive it is that you're going to need to be at your destination. True. And I mean, I've flown a lot of different airlines since well i mean actually for me the pandemic changed everything <laughs> i mean more yes. than like the ending of virgin of america like in 2019 i didn't fly that much but 2020 one flight 2021 zero flights 2022 was only like four flights five so that changed things for me more than virgin america <laughs> sadly mm -hmm. but i guess the pandemic the combination of that plus all of the people that i met through that flight you know we're still doing this podcast and a lot of us still travel together, hilariously or not sometimes. <laughs> I know. We need another wide-body weekend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, you know, I mean, I think I've learned from you and from others, just treating the flight crew well, you can have a good time with anyone, despite mm -hmm. what you hear on the media. Like, I still had some of those Virgin America paper airplanes that, if you flip them over, there were certificates for, like, your first flight if you're a kid. Some of the United flight attendants. I so <laughs> this is the irony. Pilot Sarah for her final <laughs> flight. You know, I flew a different airline. I flew United to get to the de <laughs> to Washington Dallas. Oh, <laughs> and not, not not the airline she's on. So, right. which is kind of hilarious. But I had some of these Virgin America paper airplanes with me, and the flight attendants loved them. And they we were flying <laughs> in the galley, and one of them actually like got through a crack and went behind a galley cart and got <laughs> stuck. <laughs> so I thought, wow, you know, people can be a lot of fun no matter what your airline. Granted, I have not flown Frontier Spirit, so I cannot vouch for all airlines. Right. But <laughs> I mean, again, our price point for what we're willing to put up with in terms of seat comfort, you know, that's really some of the factors that you're evaluating when you're looking at an airline. It isn't right. always about the cheapest to get me from A to B or C or Z, right? You need to think about what is the comfort level that you will put up with. And, you know, 29, 30-inch pitch is a really tight, a non-recline. Uh, mm, yeah. I mean, that's why I switched to American Airlines, um, what, in 2003 or so, when they had that more, even more space they were taking yes, out. Yes, that was a seat. great time. That's when I switched, and that's when I became, like, elite status on American for a long time until... Northwest merged with Delta, and then I switched to Delta. But, you know, I've come to the realization, being mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area, United has the most convenient schedules if there's irregular, you know, erupts or something goes down because they have the majority of gates. So if they tend right. to have priority. I'm just tired of playing the game. Just I'd rather have a nonstop to my destination. I Versus don't want to mess. Hop, hop. Right. You know, I just, and again, they're trying. It's sort of like, you know, Avis, the rental car company, we try harder. <laughs> they're, they're ah, I feel like yeah. United ever since the Dr. Dow incident, we try harder. <laughs> yes. But they really, I've gotten to a point where I'm, I'm okay with it. And, mm -hmm. and to know that a lot of Virgin America's innovations have become the mainstream now. So I feel like anything that's innovative is going to have that moment 
And if it doesn't last, there was a book called Diffusion of Innovations. And I think a lot of the things they pioneered. Right. The touchscreen ordering, yeah. you know, from the behind. The, do you remember the peanut butter sandwich? The limited numbers available that as soon as the system came up, you're like, Red, I, I need to get, I need that peanut butter sandwich. I am really? pressing for it. <laughs> really? I didn't. <laughs> wow. I would just order the snack boxes that were gluten free, but they were always well, fun. Yeah, because you can do the, <laughs> the gluten in the sandwich, but it's like, yes, there's limited number. In it. But, you know, I thought of Virgin America when I was flying Zipier Tokyo mm -hmm. back in December. And essentially, ordering was on demand, which was a problem because if you're trying to sleep on an international flight, you can smell meals being cooked the entire time. Yeah, but you know, that it's for me, that's a foodie. I love smelling those things. <laughs> but I wanted to sleep, right? <laughs> However, um, it was really nice because for my circadian rhythm and trying to like eat at the time I need to eat, that was so wonderful mm -hmm. instead of having this you need to eat when it's, you know, convenient. 30 minutes after takeoff, we're going to come through the cabin with our first drink service. Right, and, and 90 minutes before <laughs> landing, whereas I could just eat my now heated up meal mm -hmm. an hour before landing. I didn't have to eat anything, you know, when I started. It worked out fine. You know, for those of us that may like to love to eat, could you order two meals on Zip? Yes, you pay for it. Ooh. And you could order different kinds of meals. That's a nice thought. And you're not gluten intolerant, so you could actually <laughs> Eat the meals. There was only I one. Know. I could only have like the butter chicken, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it was good. It was it was exactly what I needed. Now, granted, you know, when I got picked up at the San Jose airport, I went straight to a diner and had more food <laughs> <laughs> in one meal than I had probably in all my weeks in Japan. <laughs> but, oh, back in the America land of yeah. lots of plenty. So, but yeah, I could see how elements of Virgin America's pioneering uh, things, like their first class seats did not, unfortunately, make it to other other domestic U.S. airlines. Yeah, the large recliners, they're nice. Those. But again, there's some, in other airlines, they actually have come out with the lay flats in first. Right. So well, JetBlue Mint. Yeah, right. That's true. JetBlue Mint is fine. Now, if Eric were on this, if I do get, can, if I can snag Eric, I don't think... <laughs> He does not like JetBlue, and he's based in Boston. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hometown airline, what? So um, at Pilot Sarah's, like, one of her after parties, I had one of the JetBlue board games, and he's like, can you take your picture of it with me looking at this in disdain? <laughs> I was like, what's with JetBlue? We like it out here, but we only fly Mint transcontinental flights, haul. right? Yes. He doesn't, and I guess he knows too much. So. Well, you know, if you can always get the even more space... I See, thought that was fine. That's fine because it's larger than some of the other domestic ones. So the second question is, if you had one wish, wave the magic wand, that you could change about the state of, I don't know, anything in aviation, commercial aviation. Commercial aviation? Oh. Working within the confines of what we actually have within the FAA system, it would be actually nicer for the airlines to actually run things on time and not try to cram so many flights into the schedule that if something goes wrong, you end up with cascading failures, cancellations, and delays. I think that's really my one wish, is the airlines to actually have a realistic schedule that they can adhere to. Ooh, see, that okay, that would be my one unrealistic wish, is to not clump all these flights together oh, and the, cause the chaos. The banking of flights, because then all the flights arrive within a certain time frame, but it causes chaos at security. It ca it just and then yeah. you have these periods where nothing happens. It's like can't you just distribute them out? And I understand the hub and spoke system. That's not always ideal. But, but it's not the hub and spoke 
necessarily that does that. It's the banking of the flights within the hub and spoke. But, you know, Southwest is point to point, although we saw what happened. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> what, yes. Remember realistically scheduling flights I, that you, you can. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just, I kind of feel like when I look at security and the chaos that goes on, it seems crazy to just try and have all of this chaos at 5 a.m. and then absolutely nothing for a few hours. And you have more chaos, right? Right. And it stresses everyone out. You don't have enough, you're trying to get the right kind of staffing for things. I mean, it's an unrealistic wish, but that's my wish. Well, you said, if we could wish, wave the <laughs> wand. Right. So do we not wave the wand <laughs> for what we wanted? Exactly. Yeah. Also, I think, I don't know if this airplane noise is going to pick up on these headsets, but that would be something else. <laughs> Can I have two wishes? Can I have... No, <laughs> you said, where's that, where's that button? The, the was it the, the, yeah. The D for D. No. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that, but you, you, I'm sorry, you only got one. All right, fine. Okay, well, thank you, Sebastian. Thanks for having me. Hey, Pilot Sarah, welcome back. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, and you know, we're going to have you on in a couple of episodes from now talking about your retirement flight back in January. That was a lot of fun. I was glad you were there. Yeah, we had a lot of fun in the back, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can hear, I heard the rowdy section. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, well, so here it is. It's April 2023. And, you know, this was actually the fifth anniversary, can you believe already, of the final flight of Virgin America where we all met. Right. Now that you're retired, apparently we can say you were actually a pilot for Virgin America, which is how we met you. You weren't on the flight itself, even though you tried. It was pretty yeah. funny how you tried. <laughs> <laughs> it was all LA-based guys who got to fly it, and I'm San Francisco-based, so that's how it didn't work out. But yeah, right. I was trying to trade into that flight for sure. Yeah, but thanks to you, though, and all of your help, we were able to get all kinds of amazing swag and meet so many other people from the airline. So that was super cool. And that's why you're an honorary nerd bird, even though you weren't on the flight. <laughs> you were there in spirit. So Right. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I greeted the flight and then I, I was on the ground, you know, when you guys were being pushed back. So I got to walk along. So that was very meaningful. And so all the Virgin America people were gathered together and you probably couldn't differentiate who was who, but we're all waving from gate agents to other pilots and flight attendants and ground crew. We're pretty tearful about there, there it goes, you know. And then we waited till you launched. We waited till you rotated and, and watched you go. Aw. And you took yeah. video of that. So I remember when I took, I think I made a video where I showed like clips from the inside and then you're in, interspersed with your clips from the outside. So we had dual perspectives. Oh, that's right. So, I do remember. Yeah. yeah. So nice I was like, job. I'm so glad you got a video from the outside. So right. <laughs> that was your purpose really, right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, so the questions I've been asking everyone else was, you know, so it's been five years. How has the flying slash travel experience changed for you? Yeah, for me, well, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with the changes. You know, just as I was retiring, I was starting to see a comeback for the industry. But the uh, changes, um, I guess, overall, it, you know, they're as to be expected, the difference, though, with Virgin America is just that Virgin America energy and the uh, the music at the podium and the awareness of where the jet, if it's late, you know, where it is and gate agents wanting to be out on the podium just early because they enjoyed their job so much. So there's more interacting with 
the flying public. And then, uh, um, and even if the pilots would come up, we were expected to interact with people just, you know, sitting in the area, we're supposed to have, um, three encounters, so to speak with, uh, yeah. So we did, even the pilots, you know, we were taught during our orientation that we were expected to, if if possible, not to be awkward or weird about it, you know, but I mean, you know, hi, I'm your pilot. <laughs> yeah. Just to walk up, you know, but if people are looking at you to say that I'm flying, I'm flying you today and the weather's going to be, you know, kind of almost a little summary of what to expect on the flight. And so glad that they were there and if they had any questions. So we were expected roughly to have three encounters per boarding area per, you know, even if we had four flights a day, we're supposed to be in the boarding area early enough to allow that interaction between ourselves and the passengers are about to board. So that was always fun, you know, kind of, it's like being Disney, you know, how Disney employees are up and they have that reputation of enthusiastic and really loving their job and, and what, whatever they could do for the, um, their guests, you know, they would do. And it's kind of has that kind of upbeat feel. And then that we're all there for each other. We always had each other's back. That was, um, that was the cool thing. And then we had the hug. uh, That was the other thing we would do on the, um, where no one could see us on the jetway. There's probably a lot of loud yelling, squealing, happiness, laughing. And then we're always hugged each other. Five crew members are getting off. Five crew members are getting on and we're having a hug fest. And where have you been and where are you going? I'll see you in three days somewhere, you know? So we had a lot of background team building that people just didn't know. So and the, the hugging continues, you know, we see each other, the, the, the uh, jetway hug still happens. And I have to say there are some really cool Alaska people too, who want in on the hug and we all hug, you know, and we're, uh, we're more and more, you know, just more and more Alaska, but the, the Virgin, you could tell by things on people's luggage or we remember each other from Virgin America. Uh, there are times when flying from the from Boston or uh, JFK or Dulles, it could be a, a Virgin an, an original Virgin America crew, which is kind of cool. And but then, you know, there will be an Alaska person with us who goes, I want to be I'm honorary virgin, you know, and they want to be part of the group. And it's just an energy thing. It truly is. And there are people from Alaska who I thought were virgin who I fly with and they aren't. They have that true kind of a joie de vivre and a kind of a just lo- loving being there that, that that's what they get to do for their living. It's really cool. Oh, that is cool. And it sounds like that was unique that type of culture based on the other airlines that you've flown. I mean, you've flown, well, yeah. then again, you flew corporate and you also flew UPS. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. So the heavy jet around the I world. I guess so there wasn't hugging flying. at UPS. Right? <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine UPS bros hugging it. Because most, aren't most UPS, uh, well, most pilots are male, right? But I could imagine yeah, there weren't many. More a male, former military culture at UPS. Mm-hmm. And, but there's, you know, team building in that you're kind of in a more difficult environment. You're jet lagged a lot. You're sleep deprived. You know, you're just out, you're away from your family a lot longer. You'll be gone 12 days. Whereas here, the longest, the longest line is five days, maybe. So, you know, being out for 12 days and mostly, you know, overseas is a kind of a different kind of a pilot in a way. It's kind of a different corporate, it's kind of a different culture flight deck culture. The hero of the day is who slept longest at the hotel. Like, you know, after a while, you're like down to four hours. You're staring at the ceiling in a day sleep, 
you know, and, and it's like, how long did you get? Like, well, I got four hours. Well, I got six. You're the hero, you know? So it's kind of like there, it's so basic what you need at UPS, whereas at uh, Virgin America sleep, you know, like, of course I'd get my sleep. That's a, that's a given. Of course I'd get nourishing food. That's a given. And I wouldn't be gone longer than, you know, four days, most likely. So you had other things. You had, you had more of a, uh, a depth, a reservoir of things to really buoy you at Virgin America. That was the really cool part. The next question is, if you could wave your magic wand and change <laughs> anything, <laughs> just yes. one thing. Trust me, it's been hard when I've been asking other people and even myself. I can only pick one, really. <laughs> Well, so for me right away, all I could say is get rid of the age limit for pilots, but I don't know if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> no no recency bias here at all, pilots. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. Right, right. <laughs> Although None. at this point, if they do, if the law does pass to raise the age limit to 67, you've already moved on and you're actually doing some really cool stuff. You've definitely moved on up like George and Wheezy, as they'd say, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're in a yeah. new position, would you go back to flying commercial for what? year? Well, at this point, right. You know, even if that was enacted tomorrow, you know, it'd have to be age 70, age 72 or unlimited as long as, uh, well, not, I can't be unlimited really, but you know, that you can hold your class one medical that you go in for every six months. Yeah. I mean, it's close enough based on how long I've been, I, I'm still current flying the Airbus for instance, right now that would still be if they were to enact, uh, tomorrow in age 67 rule. But, you know, Alaska would have to ask me, there'd have to be room for me. And then the other thing would be to, um, you know, would they, would you come back at your same seniority? Because if you're coming back as a new person, as a new hire, you know, yeah, no, thank you, you know, but no. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've got it pretty good right now. Yeah, being in the position you're at now. What, what right. did you mention? You are what, a Czech air Czech airman. I've never heard of. Yeah, this, so. Czech airman is well. Yeah, Czech airman's a position that's been around, you know, since the earliest airlines. And generally, they get involved in teaching a pilot the airplane that they're on, and so they're going to get a type rating. So a seven thirty seven is a different type rating than an Airbus is a, a whole different type rating. So a Czech airman may not even teach, but they're the ones that check the pilot. So the instructors are kind of feeling it too. They're almost in the check ride too with their student because they want to see, is the Czech airman going to pass my student? It's a reflection on you as an instructor. What, you know, what did they do well? What can I work on as an instructor to help my student? And I'm really lucky. Well, right now I'm poised to be a Czech airman, but right now what I'm doing is I am an instructor for students in the United States, and I'm about to receive my um, instructor license to teach European students of the European Union. So that's fun. Yeah. So that's a, kind of unexpected. I didn't know that was in the um, in the offing, but definitely being a Czech airman is something that will be coming. I don't know, actually, if there's a, you have to be an instructor for 12 month limit, or I don't know if there's an actual limit, but I know at my company, they, they need more and more Czech airmen because the need for getting pilots through is just, it's incredible. And like at a lot of smaller airlines who almost feel like they're feeders to United American Delta. I know Southwest has their union put out a, we're the feeder airline for United. 
you know, we need a better contract. That was something they used as a kind of a, you know, way to get at least get attention from the media and that there's an issue here. And, and it was in a uh, short, concise way of kind of making it, it, it plain what the issue is. And now even, and I'm working more in the business jet world, those airlines, well, those carriers, they're losing pilots also to United, Delta, American. They just, or they stay a year and then they're gone. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And so the check, I guess it sounds like a Czech airman too. It reminds me of the DMV when you go to get your driver's test. It's that person. person yes. You're the equivalent for a plane. Right. So, and so you can just think of, you know, your PE teacher who taught you uh, driver's ed when you're 16 in high school, <laughs> you know. Although so I heard it's crazier now. You can't even yeah. have, get away with that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. No, totally. It totally is. What, when I my think it's like formal through. schools now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. When I was growing up, the, the PE teacher was the <laughs> yeah. driver's ed teacher. Exactly. They got extra. But I know with my kids who graduated in the, in the 90s, uh, yeah, we did have, we had to pay for a company to come and pick up your kid and take them out and teach them how to drive. And um, it was all very formal. And they had to log hours, kind of like a pilot, so much time on the freeway and all that. I remember those days. But so in a way, I guess that's even a closer analog. In a way, it's closer now what your kids have to do when you buy the, you have to like to be a flight, you know, to be a private pilot, you're going to have to go buy an instruction package from an instructor at a fixed base operator in FBO. And um, that's how you learn to fly. And so at the level of pilot that I'm teaching, they are airline pilots. Basically, they're type rated and a lot of other airplanes. And then I'm giving them a type and something called the Challenger 650 for the company I work for. And I'm an instructor right now about to get the European license to teach. I just have an American teach teacher's license, so to speak. Then after that is to be a Czech airman for both the United States and for, it's called EASA for the European Union. They're just churning them. Oh, wow. churning pilots through. Yeah. So will yeah. you go to Europe? So how does that work if you're going to certify European pilots? Do you have to go over sort of like the DMV? I have to go over to Europe to do this? Or will the European yeah. pilots come to the US for you to, how does that all work? For me to be certified I have to go on TDY to a couple of locations in the United States, and then I have to go to Farnborough. I think that's where I would be checked out, you know, like the DMV. Oh, the UK. Equivalent. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to go to the UK. Yeah. So then, but then the students, they all come here from Germany, Austria, Ireland. So they all are coming to us. And then for each country, then there is more of a, sometimes there's an even more specific thing you know, between Ireland and Germany, there's some small differences, you know, to be certified to be a Czech airman is kind of the epitome of a pilot's career. A lot of pilots don't ever get to that. They don't, they don't do it. They have other, you know, just a different route they're going. Well, given, especially in the last episode where we had our other nerd bird, David, interview some of your family members, one of the things many of them said was that it was not typical for a pilot to be typed on so many different types of aircraft. And here you are, you know, you have learned so many different kinds and now you're like the driver test. <laughs> the equivalent <laughs> of the driver test instructor on different kinds because it sounds like for this Challenger 650, you had to get typed in that. Were you typed in that before? No, I've never flown a Challenger. It's a regional jet, sort of. I think it's an equivalent to a regional jet, a smaller regional jet at an airliner. 
at an airline, a 121 carrier, but this is an airplane that's used for private flying. It's a luxury jet, actually, you know, so it's kind of a yacht with wings. Oh, and, you've moved you know, on that, up to the yacht. <laughs> yeah, it's all that shiny wood and polished brass. And How many people, how many seats can it have? And so you can take up to nine of that, you know, the way they have it configured because there's a divan and there are captain's chairs and, you know, it's rather posh. But I think as a an RJ, as a, you know, just a an airliner, I think that could be set up for 50 people. So, you know, mm, so it's extreme, it. extreme luxury, really. And so, but that's my seventh type rating. And I kind of did it backwards. A lot of my friends start out regional jet flying. They get their type rating in small planes and then they mm-hmm. move up. And I started out with getting types in big airplanes and I'm moving down, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but this is well, kind of how my It must be very went. easy. I, is it, do you feel it's easier to fly these smaller ones? I mean, I, no. I almost feel like that's an obvious. Oh, really? It's not? Isn't that okay. weird? You would think that's obvious. And it's the bigger the plane, the bigger the airliner, the easier mm-hmm. they are to handle because they're so heavy. And the, the more, uh, you know, more true they are. They they can sustain well in heavy winds and turbulence. But then you get into the little the little planes, there's a lot more to them. And there's a lot more things that need to be tested. I remember I was like, everything has to be tested. Big airliners too. You turn on an engine and you're you're there are things that you need to test before you like bring on a generator, for instance, you know. But in a Airbus the test is done automatically. The, it's, it's seamless. Unless there's a problem, mm-hmm. you don't even know. And it's so sophisticated in an Airbus, for instance, that if you have a failed engine start, you don't even know it. You could do because it sounds all the same. And then you look at the you look at the panel, the forward panel, and it's like, oh, it's restarting itself. It cleared the problem by itself, and it's restarting it. Whereas in the airplane I am, I'm in now, there's like five switches that you have to push and two things simultaneously you have to hold. And then it starts up and then you have to test every little thing that you did. And I remember as I was going along in my training, I'm like, well, at least I don't have to test anything when I put the gear down. And my instructor goes, oh no, but you do. You put the gear down and you have to test the anti-skid. You know, it's just like, test, 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 test. And the handling of the airplane, it's just lighter. So there's more to manage in uh, crosswinds or in turbulence. So it's really funny. The bigger it is, the easier it is, the smaller it is. And I, I would venture to say, even learning how to fly in a 172 or 152, you're working even harder in that airplane. Oh, the little Cessna. Is yeah. that most people learn how to fly in those Cessna? Yeah, they're training in the Cessna. 172, yeah. yeah and the, or they're training in a Piper Warrior. Um, which is kind of the equivalent to a 172. So it's sort of like the old the old cars from the 70s with the stick shift, learning how to drive with that versus the new fancy SUVs yeah. that have the lane detection right in the backup cameras, and you almost don't have to drive anymore. You know, like <laughs> you don't you have, have to all turn the around and everything. Yeah, it is you, that's parallel a, park for you. Some of them, right? Yeah, that's a great analogy. Especially the parallel parking, that that would be something that in an airliner, my engine coughs up something as I'm starting it. It clears it by itself and it starts itself up. Whereas in the little airplane I'm in, it's um, got to be managed and it has to be watched. And and if anything weird happens at all, if it hiccups, you're going to shut it, shut it off before you damage anything. It's the same 
analog to a, to parallel parking, that everything's so automatic in the larger airplanes and the larger jetliners. That would be hard to like downgrade back to not having all of these tools to make your life easier. And you don't right. realize it until you don't have it, that those little things add up. Because I went from renting some really nice new cars to using like someone's older 10-year-old car. I'm like, wait, I have to like physically look back now. There's no little blind spot mirror <laughs> warnings, right? Because now they right. have those lights. And wait, w there's no camera here. Well, I have to look back. But I mean, I know how to do that. But those little things start to add up. It's like, oh, They gosh. do. And they, they can add to fatigue, right? And then as a pilot who's flying 14 hours, when you have an airplane that does everything for you, you're really managing rather than flying, except taking off and landing. Then you're, there's no one I know who does this automatically. They, they want to actually fly it. So, you know, taking off and landing, you're doing hand flying, but it really does it contribute greatly to safety. All right. Well, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Hey, Brendan. So for our anniversary episode, it's been five years since the final Virgin America flight. What has changed in your travel, if you won't even want to say flying experience, since that final flight? I, I think I've seesawed a little bit in terms of how often I've been flying. I had a I had a kind of a bang up year in 2021 after I got nice and vaccinated and, and went on a few adventures. But I, I'd say overall, one thing that has changed a lot is I, I don't go on my take a trip to nowhere and back just to spend a day in the sky trips. Those have kind of evaporated from my schedule. I think there's a couple reasons for it. One is finding the time to do it. Two has been feeling a little bit more guilty about taking a trip like that just for the sake of being up in the clouds. Uh, there's a little bit of carbon footprint guilt happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. How much have we, you know, I mean, this podcast but, is now three years old, right? We've been talking about yeah. sustainability and other things. Yeah. And but I, I've still managed to make a couple of my little field trips up to San Francisco for the museum exhibits. And I've, I've gone on a couple of trips to see friends. But yeah, I've, I've, I've pretty much been reserving my time in the sky for big adventures. Uh, just recently, in, uh, right at the tail end of November and December 2022, I went to France for a couple of weeks with my husband. We did a lot. We did all of our Christmas shopping, and that was a lot of fun. But I haven't really gone anywhere since then. I'm like the last person that should be talking. Well, I what well, I hit Club 800. I do need my Club 800 pin. Well, of 800 some odd days of no flying. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, has aviation really changed? I mean, granted, in the last five years, we did have a major pandemic. <laughs> the industry ground to a halt for a while. That, that seems to be kind I, of overarching. I will say that. One positive benefit of that pandemic is that, at least for the near term, the airline industry as a whole got a little more customer friendly. They definitely had a share of hiccups and speed bumps along the way, especially as the term that I absolutely loathe but refuses to die at revenge travel. Uh, came, really came and 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 I think I think it knocked a lot of airlines on their heels in terms of the unexpected demand for, for flights to beautiful, far-flung places. But, you know, even even though things have started to stabilize there, they still have left in place friendly rules uh, around, like, trip cancellations and refunds. 
some of the fees they've they've backed away from a little bit. Others they've they've really fully embraced. But uh, I think overall, it's a little bit better to be a flyer now in terms of how flexible we can be with our plans. I admire your optimism. <laughs> I'm also really excited about the A321XLR, but that's another story. Oh, and you know, the A380s are back, so you're going to have a chance to fly one now. Because I remember that I was sure the one thing so. you were like so sad about when 2020 hit and they had retired them. But now, I, goodness knows, I see them. I'm under the flight path for SFO. Actually, the A380s are the quietest planes. I get startled because you, know, you suddenly see this cruise ship in the sky, but it's quiet. I'm like, can all the rest of the planes be this quiet? It is the truth. I I remember, I think it was 2018 or 2019, I was riding my bike around LA and a British Airways A380 came right over my head on final approach. It looked impossible to be that large and that light at the same time, you know, it was mm-hmm. just... Obviously, we know they're not light, but here it is, like, just kind of cruising along about 120, 130 feet above me. I was just like, I barely hear this thing. Wait till you take off in one. It's like, did we take off? Wait, hold on. (laughs) I've heard it's like flying on a cloud, and that's why I'm really, really hopeful that I can still find my way on board one of them before they disappear. I don't think, well, it sounds like that is something else that's happening. Fewer flights, but more of them. You know, that's... Wide bodies are in. I see a lot more A380s. I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon, but enjoy floating as your takeoff. Because <laughs> it really felt like, wait, did we take off or did we just kind of float into the air? I'm normally one to pick the shortest route to a destination, but I am half tempted to uh, plan my next trip to Japan by way of Honolulu just so I can hop on the ANA. With the pretty, with the they're pretty... flying Honu or very handsome looking jets. I will say, I was there in Hamburg when they were painting some of the. You know, I was there actually at the Airbus factory. That's cool. Yeah, and they were just getting right. They were winding down the A380s, the production there. So it was fun to see. All right, next question: If you could change one thing about anything in aviation today, what would it be? Wave your magic wand. Uh, uh... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> one thing only. <laughs> I've been mulling this over. I know, right? Like, come on, I've got a list. Think about this. If you snapped your fingers, it would happen tomorrow. Honestly, okay. This is going to sound like a small thing probably to most people, but one thing that I really, really still miss is being able to go into the airport terminal and say, welcome home somebody who has been traveling a really long time, even though I personally do not have a ticket to depart that day. Oh, going through security. You're showing your age. To our audience, anyone under the age of 30, you will not understand this like. (laughs) Once upon a time, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) boys and girls. Yeah, I miss that. I miss that. I mean, I won't lie. Part of me would be very tempted to just go to the airport sometimes and hang out at a bar in the terminal and just watch people go by. It certainly feels like less carbon intensive than getting on a plane to fly nowhere, but still give a little taste of that escaping somewhere experience. Just book a flat Southwest flight and uh, yeah. cancel it right before boarding. This is <laughs> no, this is not Ooh, a nerd girl. versus. Oh. <laughs> oh. Speaking of those flexible travel policies that emerged during the pandemic, you could definitely definitely do that uh, to get around those things but i i think it'd just be easier on everybody if we let if we let folks do that again 
I think it would just bring a little bit more warmth back to the travel experience. Well, we did talk about the future of travel very early episode. There was this thing about at some point, we're just going to be able to walk through a tunnel, you know, with all of the sensors and everything built in. And we could just walk right through and that would be security. We don't have to go through, put anything on a belt through an x-ray machine. I saw this recently at what the Monterey Bay Aquarium. You could just walk through after, you know, presenting your ticket. And I saw the security. There, there are just these, I guess, not necessarily cameras, but sensors and detectors all around a general area. And I saw someone watching, and then they would just pull aside certain people as they walk through. So I, I know we talked about this er, way early on, like three years ago. So maybe at some point, once that, me, you know, that technology yeah. becomes more appropriate or it works well for a mass amount of people coming through, then maybe anyone can go through yeah i mean they're scanning our faces at the airports now instead of taking our boarding passes which is super cool but i there is that little part of me that's like oh i'm gonna one of these days we're not gonna have plane tickets anymore and i'm gonna miss that oh same with passport like we were talking about how passport stamps are already disappearing they wouldn't give me a stamp when i went into the u.s from canada earlier this year i asked they were like oh we don't do that anymore sorry no and usually canadians won't do that for you when you go in but i learned this i was just in victoria and i took the ferry in (laughs) this was so funny i will i actually just brought my passport card and i saw a guy stamp a u.s passport so i come up to him next i'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh can you stamp my passport he's like well i can't stamp this card and i said well no no i have my passport here i'd love to have a stamp he's like normally we don't stamp american passports but if you come from some exotic place like i don't know florida or connecticut we usually do that as a souvenir florida is so exotic man Well, for us West Coasters, it may as well be another planet. (laughs) The alligators. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we feel Florida is another planet. But that is another podcast episode on maybe another show. But you know, when you think about it, flying from Seattle to Miami is almost six hours. And Vancouver is just a few hours north of Seattle drive time. So Uh, I think everyone on this podcast would rather go to Vancouver. Yes, we're so West Coasty. Well, I don't know. Wait, Eric's from Boston. Would he go to Flo- he would go to Florida for the aviation photographer event that usually so, happens every fun. January. We'll have to add, we'll have to ask Eric. But anyway, well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to reminisce about our time in the skies together. Aloha, this is Sebastian, your nerdbird. Mahalo for joining us on our podcast today. Be sure to check out our website, nerdbirds.co, where we have past episodes, photos, show notes, and other links. Submit your travel or aviation questions for us and Pilot Sarah at nerdbirds.co. We'll see you next time on Travel Tales from the Nerdbirds. Nerdbirds.